If you have your Bibles, open them again and turn with me to the book of Jude. This evening we'll be looking at verses 17 through 23. Jude 17 through 23. Hear now God's holy word. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. Forever, O Lord, your word. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that from Genesis to Revelation that we have the very breathed out words of the Almighty Creator, Redeemer God. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to look for signs and wonders. Uh, Father, that we don't have to wonder and ponder what your will for our lives are. Lord, we thank you that you saw it fit to give us, to give us the scriptures. Lord, everything we need for life and godliness contained therein. Father, we pray now that through the reading and the preaching of your word, that your people would be edified, sanctified, built up, encouraged, strengthened. And Lord, that your kingdom would be furthered and that King Jesus would be glorified. We pray it in his name. Amen. The last time that we gathered and looked at the book of Jude, we were in verses 5 through 16. And there we got to do a little bit of what we might call enemy reconnaissance. Uh, Jude showed us the enemies, these false teachers, wicked character and their most certain condemnation. Well, today in verses 17 through 23, Jude calls us to nonetheless, even, even despite all of that we've learned about the enemy that might cause us to fear, that might cause us to pause, that might cause us to, to, to pick up and, and run the opposite direction, he calls us nonetheless to persevere. To persevere, and if you're looking in your bulletins, uh, we would just note uh, that's not the title. Uh, the title is Persevere. Uh, we're not doing a part two on the Christian Prince. Brian did a phenomenal job last week, and we'll leave it at that. We are looking this evening to Jude's call and command and imperative to us to persevere. Even though we're behind enemy lines, so to speak, for the time being, we are called to persevere, to press on, to not give up, to fight the good fight that Jude called us to earlier in his letter. Many of you have likely heard the story of one Navy SEAL named Marcus Luttrell, arguably one of the most famous Navy SEALs who have ever walked the face of the earth. And if that name doesn't ring a bell, I would, I would probably guess that the movie about the events of his life, titled Lone Survivor, as portrayed by Mark Wahlberg, will. Um, I, would, I would commend the movie to you. Be prepared. It's, it's pretty gory. It's pretty accurate. I've got Many friends were in the military, and most of them would mark that as towards the top of accurate depictions. Uh, so watch it. Just be, be warned. It, it's gory. Uh, Petty Officer Marcus Luttrell 
as the movie title notes, was the lone survivor of Operation Red Wings. The op team was comprised of Luttrell along with three other Navy SEALs, and the elite team was searching for one man named Ahmad Shah. Ahmad Shah was a militia leader who had aligned his local militia with none other than the Taliban. Well, after being dropped off by a helicopter in the dead of night, the the team of four proceeded to hike for hours through steep, rugged, mountainous terrain. And if that weren't bad enough, it was pitch black at night, and it was pouring with cold rain. The group bunkered down behind some rocks once they got to their destination that would set them up perfectly, they thought, to where they could take days, even weeks if need be, to overlook Shaw's supposed location and operations and confirm that he was in fact working with the Taliban and if so, to bring in reinforcements to put an end to all that nonsense. Well, the next thing they knew, just a few hours after they had bunkered down, right as the sun was rising, uh, Luttrell heard soft footsteps behind them. And he turns around and is, and is faced with a turbaned man. But the man is not carrying an AK-47. He's not carrying a, a, an RPG or any type of weaponry. In fact, he's carrying an axe and a cane, followed by almost 100 goats. The seals, as highly trained as they were, you've got to find a little bit of irony here. It's the, it's the only levity in the rest of this story The seals, as highly trained as they had been in in the ability to hide and and, and contain themselves in a situation, had been spotted, not by enemy militants, not by Taliban, but by a couple of goat herders and a teenage boy. The surprise only led them with a few options, none of which were good options. They basically had two choices. Two choices. They could kill them, which wouldn't end too well for Luttrell and the other three seals. It would almost certainly end by the time they got back with court-martials for all four and objectively immoral. The only other real option was to release them. They couldn't tie them to a tree because then the goats would give them up. They're not going to have a herd of 100 goats following them into battle. And so they chose the second option, to, to release the two goat herders and the teenager and let them go back with the hopes that they would simply not make mention of it. With their mission and location compromised, they decided to move uh, to what they would call a defensive position higher up on the mountain peak. But within only a couple of hours of releasing the goat herders, as they went to crest one of the mountains, they were faced with dozens, dozens of Shaw's forces on the top of the ridgeline, all armed to the teeth with AK-47s and rocket-propelled grenades. The team was immediately attacked with an onslaught that Luttrell says was likely thousands of rounds of fire from AK-47s and dozens of RPGs firing upon them. One of the men managed to get to a high enough peak to be able to call for reinforcements, a call which was answered. Praise be to God, the call was actually answered by a Chinook helicopter carrying eight men. Eight Navy SEALs along with eight other Army Night Stalkers. Sixteen highly trained Special Forces operatives all together. Pretty formidable force. Sadly, sadly, as the chopper hovered to discharge its troops as they were to begin to descend among the rope and, and get to the ground and, 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 and back up Luttrell and his men, an RPG shot the helicopter out of the sky to which, sadly, not a one of them survived. By the end of the attack, only Luttrell was left alive. 
By the time the sun had set on that one day, 19 Americans had paid the ultimate price. Latrell was presumed to be the 20th victim, but despite multiple bullet wounds, three broken vertebrae, rocks and shrapnel protruding from multiple parts of his body, the Navy SEAL somehow survived. And not only survived, he then proceeded to crawl over seven miles through the mountains over multiple ridges, killing multiple chasing Taliban and evading capture. Four and some days later, by God's grace, Latrell's determination and training and the help of some friendly villagers, Latrell was airlifted out by Air Force PJs. Marcus Latrell's story is one, honestly, when I think the word perseverance, Latrell's story is the first one that comes to mind. His is a story of perseverance. Even behind enemy lines, severely wounded, attacked and pressed on all sides to the worst possible measure, somehow Marcus Latrell persevered. He pushed on. He didn't quit. He made it to the finish line and got out. Well, today, brothers and sisters, God's word is calling us as Christians to a very similar end, to the end of perseverance. Our weapons are vastly different. Our enemy is different. But the call of perseverance, I think, is the same nonetheless. And so how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we persevere? What what weapons has God given us? Well, Jude here in these verses today gives us three ways, three tools, three weapons by which we are to persevere. We are to persevere, brothers and sisters, by first remembering the word of God, secondly, by keeping ourselves in the love of God, and third and finally, by proclaiming the gospel of God. And so firstly, we are to persevere, we see, in God's word this evening by remembering the word of God. Jude writes in verses 17 through 19 telling us that you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you that in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. And Jude here is giving a little bit of a summary of everything that we covered a few weeks ago in the previous passage. He is describing the wickedness and the worldliness of the false teachers. He tells us here that they scoff at the truth. That their teaching and their lifestyles are not guided by Scripture, by God's Word, but rather by, as Jude puts it, their ungodly passions. And Jude tells us that it's their false teachings in verse 19, that are the root of the divisions that we find in the church. And in case there was any doubt left at this point in the letter, I don't think there should be, but Jude thankfully makes it abundantly clear for us that these sort of people, Jude says, are devoid of the Spirit. In other words, they're not really Christian. They're not. That should have been obvious to us from the beginning, but they're not really Christians. They are not born again. They don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. Jude here, though, does do a little bit more than just remind us of what he's already said, of what he's already written. He's not just calling our minds to his words, but the apostolic word. In verse 17, he tells us that we must remember the predictions of the apostles, that they said to you, that they said to you that in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. Jude is telling us, as he told his Immediate readers then, that you must remember the words of the apostles. Jude is saying, look, they said this was going to happen. 
I'm not the first one to bring this to y'all's attention. The, the apostles said this would happen in the last days. Jude is probably here primarily referring to 2 Peter. And I would encourage you at some point, read Jude and then go over and read 2 Peter. And you're going to find that they're vastly saying essentially the same thing. And Jude here probably is primarily referring to what we find in 2 Peter. But honestly, you could find references to false teachers in the last days pretty much anywhere you turn in God's word. And Jude and the apostles here are not talking about some future, yet-to-come, far-off era right before Jesus returns. If you were like me and you grew up maybe in the broader evangelical church in America, or maybe the Southern Baptist Convention like myself, you, you, you might have been familiar with the Left Behind book series. Uh, in the Left Behind book series, it's this series of books, probably 10, 12 books, I don't know, it's been a long time now, uh, that paints this picture from a dispensationalist point of view of, of the end days in which uh, the rapture is going to happen and clothes just fall to the ground and, and war breaks out everywhere and famine and, and, it, and it makes for a fun book series, I guess, but, but it's not exactly what we see in the scriptures. They're not talking about some far off thing that's yet to come, some far off era. To Jude and to the apostles, to the New Testament, biblically, the last time, the last days, refers to the whole period between the resurrection of Christ and his final return. Jude then, and those reading his letters then, and us who are reading it now, we are in those last days. We are in that last time. And this whole time period between Christ's resurrection and his final return will be characterized, Jude says, the apostles say, the word of God says, will be characterized by the ongoing problem of false teachers. I hate to break it to you, Jude is basically saying, it was going to be a problem. They said it was going to be a problem. It is a problem. And it will continue to be a problem until Christ returns. Be characterized by this in the last days, which we're in. So then, what's the point? Judas saying this shouldn't surprise you. This shouldn't be shocking to learn. Uh, when, you, when you turn on the, the TV and you, you, you look at those TV preachers and... and you, Time after time after time again, you see false teaching after false teaching after false teaching as you walk into a Lifeway Christian bookstore. And you look at so many of the books that's containing nothing but false teaching after false teaching after false teaching as you turn on the Christian radio station. And as you really begin to listen to the doctrine of those songs and you hear false teaching after false teaching after false teaching. Judas saying this shouldn't surprise you, brothers and sisters. It shouldn't shock you. We should expect it, actually. We should be prepared for it. And that's the point here. We don't want to be like those tourists in national parks. Maybe you all have seen the videos like I have. You know, Facebook has this tendency, and so does Twitter and Instagram, that if you're on any of those social media platforms, that if you watch one video and like it, they're like, oh, you must want to see 47 other videos of the same thing. And sometimes it's the case. Maybe you've seen some of these videos of tourists in, in our national parks, especially out west, that despite the multiple dozens of signs warning them about the wildlife, despite people on every side yelling at them, saying, hey, goober, get away from the 1,200-pound grizzly bear. The signs saying, beware of the wildlife. And despite any sense of common sense, we find video after video of tourists ignoring all of this. I can't tell you how many videos I've seen in the last couple of months of tourists not, not children, grown folks, people that should know better, walking up to large, deadly animals that could end their life in an instant to get a selfie with grizzly bears and moose and bison. 
Signs posted all around. My favorite ones are in the videos where you can see the sign 10 feet away that clearly says, do not get close to the wildlife. People yelling, hey, get away, get away. But they don't listen. And more often than not, the videos end the exact same way, either with them being attacked or with them being chased and almost attacked. And to be honest, we, we don't really feel bad for them. I, I don't really feel bad for them. Kind of did that to yourself. And why don't we feel bad for them? Because they should have listened. They should have listened. They deserve to get laughed at a little bit. They should have listened. Well, brothers and sisters, let's make sure we listen. Let's make sure we listen. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you turn on the TV or the radio or you look at those books or you see in pulpits across our country false teachers teaching false things. Jude warns us that there are going to be false teachers in the last days, and we're in them. And Jude says, don't just take my word for it. Look back to the apostolic word. Look back to the word of God. And what does Jude call, us, call our attention to in the face of this problem? Jude, we, we looked at last week and the week before that there's some certain areas of, of the letter of Jude where Jude supposedly potentially cites extra biblical sources here and there. But Jude doesn't call our attention to any of that here, does he? What does Jude call our attention to in the face of the problem of false teaching? To the apostolic word. To God's word. Remember, Jude writes. Remember the words of the apostles. Remember the apostolic word. Remember God's word. Keep going back to it. Keep returning to it. Remember God's word. God's word, brothers and sisters, is the primary weapon in the Christian's arsenal. It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God we read in Ephesians 6.17. In the midst of all that armor, we're given a weapon, and it is the word of God. Remember, it is the word of God that Christ used to fight the devil in the wilderness. He could have literally said anything he wanted, and it would have been the word of God. Because he is the living word of God. Anything he would have said would have by default become the word of God. It would have been the word of God. Yet Jesus chose to quote scripture. Why? I think to be an example for us. To be an example that the word of God is sufficient and powerful and useful. Christ had it memorized, brothers and sisters, and so should we. How else can we remember it as Jude here instructs us to? Read the word. Study it, hear it preached and taught, meditate upon it, memorize it and obey it. Remember the word. It is profitable, we read in 2 Timothy 3.16, for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Remember the word. Luke 8.11, it is the seed. Remember the word. Isaiah 55.11, it shall accomplish the purpose for which God has purposed it. Remember the word of God. It is the weapon that God has given you in the fight. Without the word, you are left defenseless against the enemy. Remember the word of God. And so we persevere first by remembering the word of God. And secondly, we see in verses 20 through 21, by keeping yourselves in the love of God. Jude tells us in verses 20 through 21, but you, beloved... Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads 
to eternal life. If you were to, I almost said turn the page, but I guess you don't have to turn the page with a letter as small as Jude. So if you were to just maybe glance your eyes two inches to the left in your Bibles, back over to verse 1, we were told there by Jude in the very first verse, Beloved, in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. And that's who we are as Christians, is it not? We are beloved and kept. And nothing can take that from us. Nothing can change that status. Romans 8, nothing can separate us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are objectively, unchangingly beloved and kept. And yet, and yet, here in verse 21, we are commanded that we must also keep ourselves in the love of God. Which makes you kind of go, wait a second. <laughs> Which is it? Jude, you said back in verse 1, that wasn't that long ago. Jude, you said back in verse 1 that we are beloved and kept. And yet now you're telling us that we must keep ourselves in the love of God. Well, Jude, which is it? Are we beloved and kept? Or must we keep ourselves in the love of God? And the answer is yes. Both are true at the exact same time and neither negates the other. God keeps us in his love, and all the while he does it enabling us to keep ourselves in his love. He preserves us by enabling us to persevere in him. He preserves us by enabling us to persevere in him. This is essentially a summary statement of Philippians 2, 12-13. That we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in us. For his good pleasure. They don't negate each other. They work hand in hand. That here is the central imperative. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now that's all well and good, Jude. But, but how do I actually go about doing that? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Don't you love it when, when preachers and pastors give you these big lofty things and then don't tell you how to do it? Well, Jude doesn't leave us hanging. Jude here gives us three participles surrounding the central imperative. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those three things are the tools that Jude gives us to keep ourselves in the love of God. So, central imperative, the central command, keep yourselves in the love of God. Well, Jude, how do I do that? Here's the three ways we do that. First, first, here under our second point, we are to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. We are to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. And the first thing that jumps out to me about that, and maybe to you as well, notice the plural language. Notice the plural language. We are to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. This is a group project. It's not a solo one. It's a group project. We are to build ourselves up. We must do it together as a church. And here Jude sees the church as a building site under construction. We need the church we need our brothers and sisters to accomplish this. I can't do it by myself. I cannot finish this project alone. You cannot finish this project alone. The hand needs the foot. The eyes need the mouth and so on and so forth. We need the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters, to accomplish this. Hebrews 10.25, we must not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Brothers and sisters, 
Please stand against the tide of the current Western evangelical Christian culture post-COVID that says, I can do this on my own. I can just turn on my TV, I can turn on Facebook Live at home, and I can worship by myself. I can read my Bible, I can pray, I can do this all on my lonesome because I have YouTube sermons, I have sermon audio sermons, I don't need to come to church. This is not the case. You cannot do this on your own. You need the fellowship of the people of God. You need to worship alongside the people of God. You need the Lord's people, especially to be gathering with them on the Lord's day. If you were to build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Second, we see here that the way we keep ourselves in the love of God is that we are to pray in the Holy Spirit. We are to pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've grown up in the South like myself, there's immediately one thing that comes to mind with this especially if you have Pentecostal and charismatic family members like I do myself, that I was taught my entire childhood that there was prayer and then there was praying in the Holy Spirit. And what was always meant by praying in the Holy Spirit? It meant speaking in tongues. It meant speaking in some ecstatic language that, that only you and the Lord knew and can communicate with each other. Well, brothers and sisters, let me make it clear for you. Jude isn't speaking about anything like this. Jude, he's talking about praying as those who've had their hearts drawn to communion with God by the Holy Spirit within them. He's talking about prayer that is not just religious routine, but faith-filled prayer by those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the prayer which depends upon the Holy Spirit to access the throne room. He's talking about the prayer which pleads the promises of God, the prayer which yearns, the prayer which trusts, the prayer which hopes in and leans upon God. He's talking about the prayer that stands in opposition to the prayer of the false teachers, you see. The false teachers come before the church and they pray. Those prayers do nothing. They accomplish nothing. God does not hear those prayers. He does not give them his ear. But to you, brothers and sisters, who have been filled with God's Holy Spirit, not only does he hear, but he hears you loud and clear. As a loving father hears his child in the night. Thirdly, we are to wait for mercy. We are to wait for mercy, Jude tells us, if we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. We are to be those who cry out, who cry out, come Lord Jesus, come soon. And do we long for that? We say it. Do we long for it? I can't tell you how many times I've struggled with this as I've heard this phrase, come Lord Jesus, come soon. And I say it, and then as soon as I say that, there's that little thought in the back of my head of, man, I don't know if I fully mean that right now, right? I, I always want to add an asterisk, come Lord Jesus, come soon. After my kids get older and I can see them grow up, or, or after I get my ministry underway, or, or after I get this done or that done, or after I get to see my grandchildren grow up. But, but can we say, come Lord Jesus, come soon? Do we mean it? Do we feel it? Do we desire this? Do we long for his return? Do we wait for his mercy? Do we live today as though Christ were returning tomorrow? We should be. This is how we keep ourselves in the love of God, Jude tells us. I would just say quickly before we end our second point and go to our third, quickly notice Jude's beautiful and robust Trinitarianism here in these verses. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Pray in the Holy Spirit and wait for the mercy of Jesus Christ. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit is at work in you, brothers and sisters, for your good. Third and finally, we are to persevere. We are to persevere by proclaiming the gospel of God. Look with me at verses 22 through 23. Jude writes there that 
He says, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. In these last verses of this section, we see that the work of God in our lives is not just for us. That we are not the end all, be all. That we are not the focus and end here. That if we are to persevere, we must trust the gospel of God. And not just for ourselves, but for those around us. We must be careful lest we commit the sin of Israel. You would recall, as you look at the entirety of the Old Testament, this theme that is common and repeated over and over and over again. We must be careful lest we commit the sin of Israel. God blessed Israel immensely. He blessed Israel immensely. He gave them His Word, His covenant, His prophets, His law. Israel failed to realize that they were not the end-all, be-all here. That they were not the end-goal here. That it was not supposed to just end with them. They failed to realize that God was blessing them so that they would be a blessing to the world around them. They failed to take God's gifts and use them how they were supposed to. Instead, they were content to just keep them for themselves. Israel failed to do as they were commanded to do. In Isaiah 49, verses 3 through 6, to display God's splendor, to be a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. They failed miserably. Now, we know that ultimately God's purpose and intent here was fulfilled. Men cannot make null and void the promises of God. Praise be to God for that fact. We know that ultimately that this was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. But nonetheless, Israel failed repeatedly in many ways regarding their obligations to the world around them. If you want further insight into this, go read the book of Jonah. Brothers and sisters, let us not be guilty of doing the same. We must proclaim the gospel of God to the world around us. And Jude here actually gives us again three commandments, three imperatives. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And so here we have three M's. We have three M's. Mercy, have mercy on the doubting. Mission, save others by snatching them out of the fire. And mortification, hate sin. Mercy, mission, and mortification. And so let's quickly look at all three of those just for a moment. Mercy. Jude tells us to have mercy on those who doubt. Now these, these are not the false teachers that Jude has been warning us about throughout the letter. These are not folks who have apostatized. These are not folks who have, who have left the faith altogether. But rather, these, these are those brothers and sisters who are in the midst of a season of hurting and doubt. These are those brothers and sisters who are in the midst of a season where they are, for a time, weak in the faith. And Jude tells us we are to have mercy upon them. Or to have mercy upon them. Why? Because the reality is that all of us have times and seasons of weakness. All of us have times and seasons where we need mercy. Do we not need mercy constantly? Are we not weak in God's eyes constantly? And so Jude commands us here that when we come upon a struggling brother or sister, we are to show them mercy, remembering that we need mercy too. That we're not to mock them, we're not to condemn them. We're to show mercy to them. Pray with them. Open God's word with them. Invite them back to church with you. 
Help them to fix their eyes back upon Jesus. Help them to fix their eyes back upon Jesus, recognizing that each of us struggle to keep our eyes fixed on the prize. Just the other day, my youngest child gave me a perfect illustration for this. Nora has been crawling at, at light speed all around the house and getting into everything, absolutely everything. She has been knocking over coffee cups, candles, lights, everything that she's physically strong enough. That she would have done knocked over the couch if she was physically capable to, and she's loved every second of it. And as she's been crawling around and getting faster and faster, we've, we've started doing this fun game with her to kind of encourage this progression. And so I'll get on one side of the room and Carla will get on the other side of the room and, and I'll call to Nora and she'll walk the, you know, all the way across our living room to me. And then as soon as she gets to me and we, we celebrate, then Carly will call her and she'll crawl back to her and Nora can do this for, 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 for hours on end. Except the problem is when anything else is going on in the room, you can forget it. I mean, you, you can absolutely forget it. The attention span of an eighth-month-old is not that good. It's just, it's just not yet. And so, so Nora, she'll be crawling. Just the other day, she was crawling to me. I mean, booking it. So excited to get to Daddy. And then Liam set off a toy on the other side of the house, and all of a sudden, Nora, you know, had that moment like a dog, squirrel, and, and just heard it, and she was gone at that point, right? I'm, I'm sitting there going, Nora, Nora, come to Daddy. She, she's not coming. Right? It, it would have taken in that moment me physically picking her up, going into another room, keeping her face fixed on me, saying, come to Nora, come to Daddy. And then even then she might struggle to go back to that fun sound that she heard. We're often like this. We're often like this. We saw a couple weeks ago on Sunday morning in, in the book of Hebrews that we struggle with this, do we not? To keep those horse blinders on our eyes, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We are all, each of us, easily distracted by the cares and the concerns of this world. Keep our eyes fixed. And when you are the one who is doing well, and you are the one who is doing strong, and you are the one who is strong in the faith, look to your brothers and sisters who are struggling. Look to your brothers and sisters who are having moments of weakness. And gently, mercifully, guide them back. Help them to fix their eyes again upon Jesus. Pray with them. Open God's word with them. And so we see mercy. We see mission here as well. We see mission here as well. Jude says that we are to save others by snatching them out of the fire, by snatching them out of the fire. It's some pretty vivid language here. It's striking. It's, 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 it's jeering almost, right? It, it, it's not, he, it, this isn't calm, this isn't patient. It almost reads how Mark writes his letter. It, it's urgent. It is immediate. It, 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 it calls to action something that needs to be done right now. If you are walking down your street and you see a house ablaze and you hear people trapped in it, you don't take your time to get to them. You go in, you kick down the door, and you drag them out, right? You, you snatch them out of the fire. And it's with this sense of urgency that Jude presents this mission to us. We are to snatch them out of the fire. It, it's almost, it almost gives a picture of the lost as though the, the, the edge of their coat, the tail of their coat is already being singed by the flames, as it were. And Jude says when you see that, don't determine that they're too far gone. Snatch them out of the flames. Go and get them. Go and grasp them. Proclaim the gospel of the gracious Lord Jesus Christ to them. They're not too far gone. Even if their hair is singed and their coattails are singed, they're not too far gone. That is not your determination to make. Snatch them out of the fire. If the gospel can save you and the gospel can save me, it can save them. Snatch them out of the fire. This is our mission we are, as we look to 1 Peter, we have been procured to proclaim. 
Why were we predestined? Why were we chosen? Why when we're saved are we not just immediately like Star Trek, you know, beam me up, Scotty. Why are we not just immediately zapped up to heaven? Because we have a job to do. We have a job to do. Snatch them out of the fire. And then third and finally, mortification. He uses some of the same phrasing here to show mercy. But he has a different group in mind. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. It's likely here that Jude has in mind maybe even some of the same false teachers that he's already warned of. It's likely here that Jude has in mind some that have been swayed a lot more than the first group that we talked about. These might very well be the folks who have left the faith. These might very well be the folks who have apostatized the church. These might very well be the folks that immediately brings to mind uh, the pagans. And what does Jude say? Show mercy with fear. Why with fear? Right, show mercy. Go proclaim the gospel to them. Tell them of Christ. Do this work again with them. Snatch them out of the fire. Do all that you can, but do so with fear. Why? Well, he tells us that God hates even the garment stained by flesh. He says, go and do it. Show them mercy. Proclaim the gospel to them. Snatch them out of the fire, but be cautious, brother. Be cautious, sister. Be warned. Be warned. It's far easier for them to drag you down than for you to bring them up. Hate sin. Mortify it. Put it to death. Don't be tempted by it. Jude's calling us back to where he had us a few weeks ago, earlier on in his letter. God hates even the garment stained with flesh. What's the takeaway for us? That we should as well. That we should as well. You know, you've heard this phrase, likely proclaim the gospel and use words when necessary. It's a foolish phrase. It's a nonsensical phrase. Uh, Ligon Duncan said it best that saying proclaim the gospel and use words when necessary is like saying feed the hungry and use food when necessary. It's always necessary. However, there's another side to that coin. There's another side to that coin. That if we proclaim the gospel with our mouths and with words, but our lives don't match, what are we really proclaiming? What are we really telling the world? So Jude issues a warning. Jude issues a warning that God hates even the garment stained by the flesh. And so stand warned. You should hate the flesh too. Mortify the flesh and its desires. Put it to death. Don't try to get as close as you can to the line which has sinned with the youth for the last couple of months. We've been walking through the Heidelberg Catechism on the Ten Commandments. And in each of those commandments, they're probably getting tired of me saying it, but I'm going to keep saying it. The, the takeaway for the Christian is not, how close can I get to the line without crossing it? Right? Oftentimes we want that as we talk about the Ten Commandments. Well, give me exactly, Pastor, a list of what's prohibited here. But God doesn't do that, because that's not the point. That we as God's people are not to say, how close can I get to the line without crossing it? We should be saying, what can I do in my actions, my thoughts, my words, and my deeds to glorify you the most? I don't want to even be close to it. I don't even want my garment to be stained by the flesh. And so we see mercy, mission, and mortification. And so Jude gives us this call, this command really here, to persevere in the faith. To persevere in the faith by remembering the word of God, by keeping ourselves in the love of God, and third and finally, by proclaiming the gospel of God. Would you pray with me? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day that you've given us. Father, we thank you that you give us at the beginning of each week a blessed Sabbath that we may rest and worship and bring glory to your Son together. Father, we pray now that your Word of God, that the Word of God would, would, would make its home in our hearts and souls, that we would remember it and not forget it as we go out from this place. Help us, help us, Father, to remember 
the word of God. Help us to proclaim the gospel of God. Father, help us to be obedient to your word. Father, help us to be burdened for the lost around us. We pray all this in Christ's most blessed name. Amen.